memory of Mrs. Gladys Tobias. Yeah. Okay, so we're learning the Elu Nishmat Moshe Ben Sarah as well as Mrs. Gladys Tobias. Shalom, Ruach Hashem. Amen. All right, Megillat Rut, the finale. So let's just remember where we're holding in this great story, the story that is the story that we read on Shavuot. I don't think it's so apparent. Uh, I don't think we talked about it. Why do we read this on Shavuot exactly? Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a great story. But, uh, you know, I don't find too much relevance to Shavuot in the book. I mean, it doesn't mention anything about the giving of the Torah. Uh, there's no mention of, uh, you know, calzones or anything like that. So the question then is, why did this uh, Megillah become the uh, national anthem of the holiday of Shavuot? It's worthy to discuss for a minute. In order to appreciate <clears throat> this, we have to have some introductions. There's a, uh, there's a Gemara in Yebamot. I don't think you ladies do that for you or me. But if you did, you would have just came across it last week. <coughs> the Gemara in the Yebamot, I think page 86 or 76, says the following. Uh, there was a, a terrorist by the name of Goliath, Goliath, and he was coming after the Jewish people. And the king at the time was Shaul, and Shaul needed to appoint uh, somebody to go and kill Goliath. And he said, you know, who are volunteers? And David you know, raised his hand and said, I'll do it. And of course, David ultimately would take down Goliath. But before he did that, Shaul had to put on uh, David the armor. Because when you go to war, you have to wear armor. So there was certain armor that uh, Shaul had. And as he was putting it on uh, David, a miracle happened. This was the personal armor of Shaul. And Shaul was a big man. And uh, David was not as big. And when they put the armor on David, it fit perfectly. Almost as if it was custom made for him. And there was an old tradition that whoever fits this piece of armor perfectly is worthy to be the king. So when Shaul saw this, he was very curious and he said, who is this boy? Who is this boy? And the Gemara says, is it possible that he doesn't know who this is? Everybody knew who David was, especially they knew who his father was. His father was Yishai. Yishai was a very famous Jew. So how could Shaul all of a sudden say, uh, go find out who he is? He must have known who he is. So the Gemara says, no, Shaul was asking a much deeper question. Uh, he now was interested in knowing if he is properly lineaged to be the next king of Israel or to be the first king from the Davidic dynasty. Let me explain to you that. We have a tradition that says kings must come from the tribe of Yehuda. That was Yaakov Abinu's guarantee. Lo yasu shevet mi Yehuda umpokek me ben raglam. Mashiach will come from Yehuda as well. Uh, and uh, Yehuda himself was married to a lady called uh, Tamar. And they had two sons. They had twins. One was called Peretz and one was called Zerah. And tradition ta- taught us that if you come from the line of Peretz, that is the line of kings. Uh, in England, they call that blue blood. If you come from the line of Zerah, Zerah, you become a prince, meaning a Hashuv person, but not kingdom. So now, uh, when Shaul saw that the clothes fit, and if the clothes fit, that means he's worthy to be the king, they said, hey, bring me his family tree. I know David comes from Yishai, and I know Yishai comes from Yehuda, but I want to know which... Which line? Does he come from the Peretz line or he comes from the Zerach line? If he comes from the Peretz line, then uh, there you go. He might be the ne- next king of Israel, first king of the, uh, uh, the Davidic dynasty. Uh, in the middle of that discussion, entered a uh, fellow into the Bet Midash, a great Tamid Hacham, albeit, I have to tell you that, great Tamid Hacham, but uh, Tamid Hacham Lehara. He was a Tamid Hacham that went sour. Sometimes that happens. In medicine, they call it a quack. Uh, in in rabbinics, they call it, uh, I don't know, a faker. But the point is, his name was Doeg. Doeg Adumi. 
And the egg walked in, and when he walked in, it says everybody would shake because the egg has a great mind and is big tabit hakam. So when he walks in right away, they know he's going to shake the bet midrash up with his questions. So he says, well, "What's the discussion today in the yeshiva? Oh, we're, we're analyzing uh, David's uh, uh, history lineage." So the egg comes along and says, "Haha, before you discuss his lineage, whether he's worthy to be king." there is a more pressing question that you have to discuss. And that is, is he worthy to come into the congregation? Is he befitting to come into the congregation? Which means, are we allowed to marry David? Forget about him becoming the king. He might not even be legal. I'm legal. How can that be? His father was Jewish, his mother was Jewish. That was the question on David's uh, uh, legality. So Doeg reminds everybody that we know, we're going to read it today, Boaz would marry Ruth, congratulations, and then they would have uh, a son, the son would be Oved, they called him Oved because he was Oved Hashem, he served God, Oved would be the father of Yishai, Yishai would be the father of David, so that means David's uh, great-grandmother is Ruth. Yishai's grandmother is Ruth. David's great-grandmother is Ruth. So Papa said, beautiful. What a great-grandmother. What is it good to have a grandmother, great-grandmother like that? Well, not if you're Doeg. Because Doeg says she is from Moavi descent. We know she was a convertist from Moab. And there's one problem. The problem is we have to deal with the Pasuk in the Torah. And if anybody knows what the Bible says, it can't be clearer than this. Lo yavo. Mo'avi Bekal Hashem. Kal Hashem is the congregation. Mo'avi converts are not allowed to come into the congregation. So if you are Jewish, as we are, a Mo'avi converts, I'm sorry, we cannot marry you. So therefore, forget about David's uh, right to ascend the throne. His great-grandmother is Mo'avi, and she's illegal. And since she's illegal, anybody that comes out of a is also illegal, and therefore David is illegitimate, and therefore he cannot come into the kahal. Now, again, talk about somebody that shakes the bit midrash. He came in and he dropped the bomb, like we would say in yeshiva. What are you talking about? David's not... And now, all of a sudden, a debate ensued. And a great rabbi who was there uh, by the name of Avner, Avner ben Ner was uh, one of the generals. You see, in the olden days, generals also were tamidah hachamim. I should say, tamidah hachamim were also generals. Which means, these, you didn't go fight wars for the Jewish people unless you were a, a scholar. These were all great tzaddikim that spent most of the day in the Beit Midrash. And when they had to go out to fight, they, you know, they put their books down and they went out to, to fight. So what happens? So uh, he comes along and he says, No, we have a, uh, a rule that says that only the Mo'avi men are forbidden to come into the Kahal. But the women are okay. Okay? If you're a lady, it's nice to hear that once in a while the ladies get an advantage. Men are forbidden and ladies are permissible. That's what Avner said. And the way he said it was, Mo'avi velo Mo'aviyah. Mo'avi, meaning the men are forbidden and not Mo'aviyah. So uh, Doeg says, are you kidding? Doeg doesn't buy that. You can't sell Doeg, just, uh, you know, push him away like this. In Hebrew, they say, You cannot just push him away like you'd push away a piece of straw. He says, oh yeah, you want to play that game? What are you going to say? Uh, the men are forbidden and the ladies not. I, we have a pasuk that says, A mamzer cannot come into the congregation. Everybody's over 18 over here. You know what a mamzer is? No. No? Oh, come on. <laughs> Why do you make me explain these things explicitly, Mrs. Mishan? <laughs> I'm trying not to explain it. A, a, a mamzer is a child that's born from a forbidden relationship. Oh, okay. Okay, now we understand it? I know it wasn't a good thing. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, by no means. It's, it's actually a terrible thing. But Hazi, it's not his fault. His parents actually had a terrible thing. The mamzer is a product. <clears throat> it's No, Hebrew. Mamzer is serious. I mean, they, I mean, they use it when they don't like somebody, they're calling that usually. So. I mean, it's used out of context. Anyway, if you're, in a, if, you, if you're in an Israeli taxi cab and somebody cuts the guy off, you'll hear that word, you know, also. 
Anyway, so Mamzer comes from illicit relations. So the Pasuk says we're not allowed to accept Mamzerim into the congregation. It says, Lo yavon Mamzer bekalashem. So the egg says, Mamzer velom Mamzeret? You want to do that? You're gonna, just like you want to make a difference between Moab and Moabi and Moabiyah, you want to say, and that's not so. We all agree that even though the Torah says it in the masculine, it means the masculine and the feminine. So just like they don't do see Mamzer and Mamzeret, they don't do see Moabi and Moabiyah. And therefore, Ruth is forbidden, and therefore, David is illegal, and therefore, he cannot come into the Kahal. So forget about the king, he's not even worthy to come into the Kahal. So uh, they go back. Uh, and forth, and they say, wait, wait, wait. We have a reason to make this distinction by Mo'avi. We're not just picking it out of the hat. We have a reason to make this distinction. And that is that when the Jewish people came out of Mitzrayim, so we passed the Mo'avi territory. And we had sent message to them that uh, we'd like uh, food. And we needed to food. And it says that they did not come out and offer us Anything. Not only didn't they offer us, they weren't even willing to sell us. They weren't even willing to sell us any provision. So that's a cruel people. So the Gemara says that uh, it's, the, uh, it's the way of men. Men usually go out to greet a nation, and it's not the way of ladies to go out and greet a, a nation. Therefore, when we banned Moab, we only banned the men who should have came out, but the ladies, we don't hold them responsible. Ladies are hospitable in the house. Oh, that's where they have their uh, hospitality. But for a lady to go out and bring provisions to a nation in the middle of the fields, eh, we don't expect to do that. It's not there. It's not becoming. So therefore, Avner said, we have a reason. Where is Mamzer and Mamzeret? It's the same thing. But Moavi, the men are forbidden because they are guilty of not being hospitable. And the ladies are not responsible for that. Therefore, the ladies are okay. So Doeg, what do you think Doeg said? He waved, he waved the white flag? <laughs> Doeg says, I don't accept it. This is not a good answer, what you're saying. Because I agree with you that the ladies should not have gone out to greet the men. Because maybe it's not proper for the ladies to go out and greet men and give them food in the middle of the field, especially strangers. But the ladies at least should have went out to give food to the ladies. ladies. I mean, there were ladies in B'nai Israel, so therefore the men should go out and give to the men. And the Mo'avi woman should say, listen, we're not going to go out to the men, but we'll go out to the B'nai Israel and give them uh, provisions. And they didn't do that either. And therefore they're just as guilty, and therefore they're uh, in contempt of uh, being inhospitable. Therefore, the men and the women are forbidden equally, like Mamzer and Mamzer, and therefore Ruth is forbidden, and therefore David is forbidden, and, and have a good day. It got so uh, heated that they were about to announce that David is forbidden to come into the congregation. Imagine they would have made an announcement like that. They were going to put signs up in the yeshiva, you know, keep away, buyer beware, David is not accepted in the kahal, uh, and they would sign it by the hachamim. And all of a sudden, another rabbi entered the Beit Midrash, and he said, what's the, what's the discussion here today? And they gave him the back and forth, and he went, and he took a sword, and it says, and he thrusted it in the middle of the Beit Midrash. Sounds like he was a little angry. And he turned to the rabbis, and he said, listen here very closely. I'm now going to present to you what's called the tradition. Tradition is something that we heard from our rabbis, from their rabbis, all the way back to Sinai. He says, I have in my pocket a tradition. And this tradition was given over to us by the prophet Shemuel Hanavi, Samuel the prophet. And he's alive today, by the way, so you can go ask him. And Shemuel heard it from his rabbi, and Shemuel's rabbi heard it from his rabbi, all the way back to Moshe and Har Sinai. So what I'm telling you now has its origins on Mount Sinai. And Har Sinai. Who's the person that's speaking? And he comes in along and he says that the tradition we have is that when the Torah says Lo Yavo Mo'avi, it's Mo'avi Velo Mo'avit. The ladies are permissible and anybody that wants to argue on our tradition, I have the sword ready, I'll come after you. That's something worthy to fight for. Not today, they fight on nonsense. Somebody's going to come after the tradition. You take out your swords. 
to, so that's worthy, worthy to defend in such a manner. Old rabbis, they took the tradition seriously. So the Gemara says, okay, you put it that way. There's a tradition, Shuala Navi, and therefore they put it to sleep. Root is permissible, David is permissible. He comes from Peretz, so not only is he worthy to come into the congregation, he could actually be the king, and everybody lived happily ever because that's what happened. He ended up becoming the first king of the Vedic dynasty. But the Gemara is not done. The Gemara comes along and says, Mikol Makom. You have a question? No, those were Ed and Onan. Those are the first two. Ed and Onan were the first uh, fellows that were married to Tamar. Okay. And they died in sin, okay. but they didn't have children. So Yehuda ended up marrying Tamar okay. in a Yibum type of uh, right, right. situation. And they had twins, they had twins, which is Peretz and Zedah, which we're going to talk about Yehuda in a minute. I'm just giving you an introduction. You. You're welcome. Now, watch this. So the Gemara, the Gemara should be done. We have a tradition. Shemuel's alive. You can go ask him. He'll tell you the ladies are permissible. And uh, that's it. Leave us alone. But the Gemara says, but still, Doeg has good questions. I mean, Doeg has a good question. You got to deal with the guy. We're not going to change the tradition because he has a question. In Yeshiva, we say we don't die from questions. Okay, you have a good question. Uh, what is it? You want to change the whole Torah because you have a question? We put the question in the folder and we leave it in abeyance until we get an answer. But just because you have a question on the law, we're not going to change the law. The law is the law. So therefore, we have a tradition, but we have a question on the tradition. And what's the question? Why didn't the ladies greet the ladies? The ladies are just as inhospitable as the men. They should have went out to greet the ladies. You tell me, no, it's not the way of the ladies to go out. Yes, I understand. It's not the way of the ladies to go out to greet men. But shouldn't the Mu'abi women have gone out to greet Jewish ladies? I mean, uh, there's a mechitza, there's a lady section, and therefore they should be guilty. That was Doeg's question. Now, how do we push Doeg away? Keep quiet, Doeg, we have a tradition. Okay, but we want to know the real answer to the question. What is the answer to the question? And you know what the Gemara says? Gemara says, a, a big hadush, that you know what? It's not the way of the ladies to go out at all. I know you ladies are out. I mean, you left the house today. I, I realize that. But especially in the olden days, and even today to a certain degree, the Gemara presents a concept that says, Kol bat melech penima, it's the Gemara's language, from a pasuk of Shalom Melech, that the glory of a woman is found inside. Uh, the Jewish woman is in the house. That's her uh, territory. That's her office. That's her place. That's her you know, uh, area, let's say. And therefore, you can't have a claim. You can never have a claim on a woman. Why didn't you go out? You can't ask me that question. I'm supposed to be inside. Yeah, but hospitality, don't ask me nothing. I'm supposed to be inside. Therefore, there's no claim against the Mo'avi woman for not going out because you can never have a claim against a woman who really should always be inside to a certain degree. Therefore, you can't say, oh, you should have went out. Then the Gemara says, another proof, how do we know ladies are... Uh, to be, you know, more homebound, we'll call it. And again, don't get me wrong, that does not mean that they shouldn't be productive. They can be <coughs> super productive, but uh, in the house, uh, between their obligations after their husbands, after their children, and to the, the, the needs of whatever the house is, and they could do a lot of things. But uh, it's more of a private uh, uh, role than it is a, a public role. So how do we know? How do we know? So the Gemara says, we know it from the following story. The story is when the angels came to visit Abraham. Now, this was a great visit, as you know, because they came to visit Abraham to tell him that he's going to have a, a child. <coughs> it was three angels that came. Now, why was there three angels? So it actually, it says one angel came to cure Abraham because he just had gone through circumcision, so that was Rephael. And then you had another angel that was going to come to tell Sarah that she was going to have a baby. That's Michael, who usually is the angel of, of good news. And then there was another angel called Gabriel, and Gabriel is the angel of fire. Gabriel, the first letter is Gavar, which is Givura, which is Midat Adin. And therefore, Gabriel, he was going to go and destroy Sedom. That was his, uh, 
So all three came to Abraham. Of course, the question is, I understand why the Fa'il had to come. He had to make a house call to cure Abraham Abinu. I understand why Michael had to come. He had to tell Sarah that she's going to have a baby. But Gabriel, you want to go destroy Sodom? Go destroy Sodom. Why, why did he have to come to Abraham Abinu? But he was scared of the dark. They only travel in pairs. Go, 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 go destroy Sodom. Obviously, Gabriel, if he came to Abraham's house, he must have came for a, for a reason. Now, if I had to explain it simply, without getting into the dirash, if I had to explain it simply, he has to come to Abraham because God will not destroy Sodom until Abraham knows about it. Anything major that happens in the world, God always gives the Sadiqim like a heads up, just in case he wants to pray or whatever it may be. So couldn't he, Gabriel, went to uh, Abraham just to let him know, you know, listen, this was coming down the pipe. They want to destroy Sodom, and then Abraham, you do whatever you want. And then, of course, he would pray. But there's a deeper explanation. Anyway, go to the, go to the, uh, to the story. The story says they came in to visit him, and all of a sudden, one of the angels says, Vayomer, uh, one of the angels says, Ayeh Sarah Eshtecha, where's your wife Sarah? He's asking, where's your wife Sarah? And Abraham Abinu was such a cordial man, he says, oh, thanks for asking. She's, in, she's inside the tent. And it's from there the Gemara learns that you see where, where the woman is. You see the Torah is not just giving you a, 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 a casual conversation between Malach and Abraham. It's giving you a, a statement of halakha. And therefore you see that since she's supposed to be in the oil, that's Sarah teaches us that, that, that's where the lady, the lady is. Uh, that means if, if Avraham would have, would have said that you know, she went shopping, then we would have been in trouble. But Hineba Ohel comes along and says that it's the way of the ladies to be inside, and therefore everything's fine. But I was, I was bothered with this story for the following reason. If somebody would come to my house, I don't care how long his beard is, uh, and I don't care how great religious credentials he has, and uh, if he walks in and says, oh, hello, Rabbi, where's, uh, where's Sandra? I call the cops on the guy. I call the cops. Yes, Sarah. What do you care where Sarah is? You're supposed to be a big rabbi. You're asking where my wife is? Where's your wife? What kind of derichet is over here? And Abraham Abinu, Allah was a big Sadiq. And he comes along, he has to answer? What have to answer? It's like you're not in your BI business, like we said in school. I have to answer to you. Could you ask me, where's your wife? What kind of hot spot question is that? This is such an unmod- immodest question of a rabbi to ask a, a, a tzaddik, where's your wife? What do you care where my wife is? What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you want uh, tea and crumpets? So bring it out soon. What, 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 is he, what was he so concerned? Where's your wife? And Avraham Avinu, by the way, doesn't get frazzled. Avraham Avinu, Shalom, answers, as if they were talking in some, some coded language that they understood. So the Hadushaharim explains this uh, correspondence uh, as follows in a beautiful way. So you remember when they went to destroy Sedom, you remember who was living in Sedom, of course, at the time, Abraham's nephew. And his nephew was Lot. Now there's a big discussion over here that uh, do you save Lot or not? Now, Lot really is not a good guy anymore. He was a good guy. But once he left Abraham, so you left Abraham. You, you, left the, you were living with the, the biggest Sadiq of the generation, and then he moves to Las Vegas. You know, he moves to Sedom to become the mayor of Vegas. So yeah, what type of guy is that over there? You were living with, in, in, with the Sadiq, and now you just give up everything, and you go move away, and you live in, uh, in Sin City. So they don't have too much favorable things to say about Lot, to be honest with you. And therefore, if you're going to destroy Sedom... Take Lot and his wife also. His wife ended up, she turned into a salt shaker. When she turned around, she got uh, destroyed. But even Lot, Lot doesn't really deserve to be saved, unless, you see, Lot, Lot would have something in his, uh, in his belly. The Zohar talks about it, the Gemara mentions it, that who was in the belly of, uh, of Lot? The holy soul of King David. That's what I'm telling you. The Arizal teaches us that whenever you have a great soul, a nuclear soul that God wants to bring down into the world, he hides it. 
Now, when you hide something, where do you hide it? In the place that you least are going to search. You don't hide it right in front of, uh, you know, in front of the eyes of everybody. Uh, you hide it in a place where nobody's going to look for it. And it seems that the kidipot and the negative energies, they want to grab these holy souls. So God uh, has to find the hiding spot, you know, to put these souls in, 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 in storage until he's ready to bring it out. Should I give you an example? I'll give you an example. Just so you understand it. Yes, yes, yes. Now, I know, I know you're bothered. God has to outsmart the Satan. God is God. Yeah, but that's the way. That, that's the, he gave Satan the power to sabotage. This is okay, Everything is from God. So he gave Satan the power to sabotage. So therefore God works with the rules that he put into motion. God put these rules into motion. I understand. God could put that meat soul right on the table in front of everybody and nobody could touch him if he wants. But since he created that system, he follows the system of, you know, that natural order of how it works. That's what you have to say. Anyway, I'll give you an example. Did you have any better souls, probably the best diamond uh, 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 necklace with 12 diamonds on it is the 12 tribes of Israel. You'll never find a more expensive piece uh, of jewelry of the 12 beautiful diamonds Shivatim, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, each one's more perfect than the next. And where did, they, where, where did they come from, by the way? They were in the garbage. Where were they found? In Lavan's house. Wow, Lavan's house. Who would look there? That's the last place that Satan's going to look for 12 nuclear souls in Lavan's house. The guy's worshipping Abu Dazara. His father worships Abu Dazara. And then Yaakov, Allah goes and marries two sisters, which already is questionable according to Jewish law, at least after the Torah was given, but the tzaddikim always kept the Torah, so therefore the satan was caught off so, so he was so caught off God, he's saying there's no way the 12 diamonds are going to come from this house in a marriage that's compromised with two sisters, so the satan went to sleep. And then by the time he woke up, the diamonds came out and he said, oh, I got sketched, I got, I got, I got, got, got duped. Then you'll always see it, you understand? I'll give you an example, if we can continue. So that's the tribes. The grandfather, the great-grandfather of Mashiach is this fellow that I told you called Peretz. That's Yehuda's son. That's where it starts from. It starts from Yehuda, then bing, Peretz. Now, I don't have to tell you the controversy of how Peretz came into the world. I mean, Yehuda... He has his daughter-in-law, Tamar, that's uh, twice widowed. And uh, all of a sudden, one day, Yudah is taking a stroll, and uh, he sees a, a lady, a stranger, that he doesn't know who it is. Zonah, the Torah calls it, and he, he's drawn into her tent. And they make an exchange of collateral and payment, or whatever it may be. And before you know it, this strange lady that was in the tent is pregnant. Okay, Yudah went back to the yeshiva, and she went back to, I don't know where... And all of a sudden, one day, they come to you then and say, you know, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, she's showing. She can't be. She's a single girl. How could she get pregnant? And then Yudah made an investigation, and they brought uh, Tamar to Betin. And we know the whole story there. Eventually, Yudah realized it was from him. And, uh, I mean, they, they, were, they were this close of killing Tamar and the two babies that were inside of her womb. And if they would have done that, then there goes Mashiach, at least from that system. Now, ultimately, Yehuda was allowed to be with Tamar. It's Yibum. It's Yibum. Remember, we learned closest relative? Mm-hmm. But the way it happened was not like in a Yibum way. He thought it was a Zonai, he went in. Why? Why did it have to happen that way? Again, because since there's such a great soul, Boreolam has to bring it under the, the cloak of sin so the Satan will not... You know, when Yehuda was walking into that tent of Tamar, the Satan said, nothing good's going to come out of this one over here. He's going into a tent, he doesn't even know who he's with, uh, let it go. And before you know it, bing, Peretz is out. And the Satan's scratching his head, they got me again. They got me again. They're always going to get him, because Hashem can outsmart him. But you'll always see, whenever we're bringing the soul of Mashiach, it'll always come in a roundabout way, because we don't want it to get sabotaged by the by the enemies. It's like the art of war. 
we're doing strategies over here to outsmart the, the enemy, to keep him off guard. That's that one. Can we continue for a minute? We'll continue. Now you have, you have Lot. Now Lot is uh, the most controversial of them all. Because Lot got saved. Okay, good luck to him. And he got saved with his daughters. And they, get, they find themselves in a cave. And they thought the whole world was destroyed. They didn't know. They didn't have uh, uh, WhatsApp. They didn't have, uh, you know, CNN. How are they going to know what's going to go on? Mm. They, when they, th- they saw the world around them, they thought they were the only ones left. They thought it was like Noah. That's it. You're starting the world again from Lot. So they had an idea. At least the daughters had an idea. And I would say they were the Shem Shamayim. That they'll get their father drunk. Lady, this is the story. They'll get their father drunk. And they'll have no choice but to cohabit with their father to bring children into the world. It's called incest. Something that obviously is not, uh, you know, it's not recommended. And now, you're going to ask me, how did they get their father drunk? They got, they got, they got penned up in a bar or a, or a cave. They were in a cave. They weren't in a bar. So where'd they get wine? So the Gemara says that the angel Gabriel came and put a bottle in the, uh, in the, in the cave before they got there. That means God already was, was behind this. Normally when you walk into a cave, you don't see a bottle of wine. And even if you see a bottle of wine, how to get the corkscrew and glasses and everything, they didn't drink it. There was a whole, uh, what do you call it, a, uh, a wet bar in the cave. So that indicates to us that Borei Olam was pulling the strings. There's a famous wine they sell today. It's called The Cave. That's from that. It's, it's from that story. That's why it's called The Cave. Anyway, so the, uh, they got him drunk. And uh, all of a sudden, the daughters get pregnant from their father. And who's born? A boy. Simantov, baby boy. And the baby boy is called Moav. Me'av. That's why they call him Moav. Which is a funny type of name to name the kid. You're basically naming the kid incest. Why, why would you name the kid Moab? Me'av, because he's not my father. We know that, but why do you want everybody else to know? Uh, there's a story on that one day, I'll tell you. But for our point is, here comes Moab. Now you know how critical this guy Moab is? Who does Moab have in his stomach? Ruth. And Ruth is the great-grandmother of David, which is Mashiach. So therefore, again, we're bringing Mashiach through Moab now, but look how Hashem brings it in. He brings it through incest in a cave under the worst circumstances and the Satan is sleeping because the Satan says there's no way anything is going to come out of this story over there. And sure enough, before you know it, bing, Moab is out. So anytime we're going to see a, a, a relation having to do with the emergence of Mashiach, it's going to be under controversy. So far, so good? Now watch. So we got to save Lot. You know why we have to save Lot? Not for Lot. We don't care about Lot. Lot already, we gave up on Lot. But we have to save Lot for what's going to come out of Lot. Which is what? Moab, which is what? Ruth. So I'm not saving Lot for Lot. I'm saving Lot for what's emerging. Very good. But wait, ladies. If what's emerging out of Lot anyway is going to be forbidden... If Ruth is forbidden, then guess what? There's no reason to save Lot. The only reason why I save Lot is if Ruth will be permissible to come into the congregation. If she's not permissible to come to the congregation, so why save, uh, why save Lot? For what? Oh, because she's going to be the grandmother of David, but David's also forbidden. So if, if the line of Ruth is anyway illegal, so I don't save Lot. I only save Lot if the line of Ruth is actually acceptable. So far, so good? And what is that dependent on? That's dependent on if we're going to hold the Mu'avi woman liable for not going out. And the Gibbara says you can't hold them liable because it's not the way of ladies to go out. It's the way of ladies to be, to be home. Now watch the story. The angel Gabriel is going to destroy Sidon. He wants to know should he kill Lot or not? That's the question he has. He has a halakhic question. 
Do I save Lot or not? And what's this question based on? Is Ruth going to be permissible or not? If Ruth's permissible, then I'll save the guy. If Ruth's not permissible, I'm not going to save the guy. And what's that dependent on? The ladies where they are belong. And therefore, when the angel asked Sarah, Abraham, what was he asking? Exactly. He was asking a halakhic question. Where is the place of Sarah? Because I need to know if I should save Lot, meaning I need to know if fruit is going to be permissible. Abraham is the chief rabbi of the generation, so all the major league questions have to come to the, to the chief. So Abraham says, oh, there's a big question. So Abraham does not answer a social question. He answers a halakhic question. And he paskins and he says, The way of woman is supposed to be in the tent. And therefore, the future Mo'avi women that don't go out will not be liable because he never ohel. And therefore, Ruth is going to be permissible. And therefore, David is going to be permissible. Therefore, go save Lot. And that explains why the angel Gabriel had to come to Abraham before he went to destroy Sodom because he needed guidance on if he should kill Lot in Sodom or not. And that guidance he can only get from the Gadol Ador. You following how we're learning? It's a new way of understanding that, that, that social question. So now it's not a question that you call the cops on. That's a question, that's a legal question. What's the derech of a lady? Is the, is the derech of a lady to be tzanuah or not? And Abraham Abinu says, he never oil. Yes, she belongs in the oil, and that's where she is, and therefore there's no claim against Ruth and her ancestors. Because you can't say, oh, they should have went out to the ladies. No, they shouldn't go out to the ladies, stay home. Beautiful, stay home, Ruth is permissible. If Ruth is permissible, go save Lot. And Gabriel tells Abraham to that, I'll be on my way. And he went to destroy Sidon, but more importantly to save Lot. Evantem? Now, it comes, okay, so yes. Why were they saving his wife? Why were they? Why did they save, why did Gabriel, like she was originally coming with them. Oh, yeah, well, I guess Ishtoki Gufo, I mean, you know. But it all worked out because Moab couldn't come from Mrs. Lot. You know, Moab had to come from. So Hashem settled the score. She wasn't going to get saved. Now, watch this. There was a great rabbi called Achim Yaakov Tarab Maslaton. He wrote a sefer called Bet Yaakov. I had the sefer in my library, uh, and many years ago I saw the following. Hadush uh, that he said, which is it's uh, divine. It's nothing short than divine. Who wrote the book of Megillat Ruth? Very good. Now, by the way, nobody, nobody is more worthy to write the book than Shemuel. Because Shemuel is the one that had the tradition that the Moabi ladies are permissible. So therefore, Shemuel is writing the book he is giving the haskama. He's giving the kashrut on David, and he's the only one that is 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 is, 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 is suited to give it because he had the tradition. So therefore, when he's writing Megillat Ruth, this is like uh, the certificate of acceptance for David to come into the congregation. And so, uh, who wrote it? Shemuel. Oh, Shemuel. We know he he had the license. He's the one that had the tradition, as the Gemara told us. Now, watch this. Says Rabbi Maslaton. Shalom in his sefer, that every pasuk in Megillah root starts with the letter Vav. You believe it? Look at Megillah root, you'll see every pasuk starts with the letter Vav, except eight. Okay, that's not, that's, that's, a, that's a, a big, big odds that most of the, I don't know, 95% of the, of the pasukim start with a Vav, except eight. So he has a theory. He took the eight pesukim and he took the first letter of each one of those pesukim. Now, that's not a vav. One pesuk is a yud, one pesuk is a shin, one pesuk is a ayin, one pesuk is a yud, etc. And he came out with the following two words. Yish'i ba'ohel. My salvation is in the tent. 
That means Shemuel was putting a coded message in the book. On the Pesukim that do not start with a Vav, it's telling you, you know where my salvation comes from? From the Ohel. From whose Ohel? Ohel Sarah. And that is a very, very, very important element to the story over here. Because why? I asked you a few minutes ago, why are we reading this on Shavuot? What, what's, the, what's the purpose of reading this on Shavuot? On Shavuot we received not one Torah, but we received two Torot. Remember, there's two Torot. Don't get fooled when somebody tells you there's one God, one Torah. That's not true. There's one God, two Torot. And God forbid not the new and the old. Both are old. One is the Torah Shebikhtav, and one is Torah Shebaalpeh. One is the written book, that's the Bible that they call it, and one is the tradition, the oral tradition. You can ask me, what's the value of the Torah Shebaalpeh? <laughs> Very simple. Without Torah Shebaalpeh, the oral tradition, take the Bible and put it in Yeniza. Because you won't understand one word. You cannot understand one pasuk, and I'm not saying this uh, 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 exaggerating. You cannot explain one pasuk without the uh, opinions that we get from the tradition. Tradition is the definition of Torah Shebikhtav. Take a simple example. Torah says on Sukkot, you have to take a lulav, okay, if you're a man. And you also have to take a piri et sadar. A nice fruit. Nice fruit. That's very vague. So one guy will go take a, uh, uh, an orange. Another guy will take an apple. Another guy says, oh, a nice fruit. I'll take a passion fruit. Another guy will take, who knows what? There's uh, so many nice fruits. Go to, go to the fruit store. Each guy will uh, outdo the next. And that guy comes with a coconut. Very nice. The Gemara comes along and says, it's not a coconut, and it's not a kiwi, and it's not a kumquat. It's a etrog. Who says? That's the tradition. But who said that? When Moshe gave the Torah, he said, I know I wrote in the book from God, Peri et Sadar, but come here, I want to whisper in your ear. Psst, come here. When it says Peri et Sadar, etrog. And they and tell that to your kids. And they pass down that tradition. It's etrog, it's etrog, it's etrog, it's etrog. And they did that with every single word in the Torah. When God said tefillin, and nobody knew what the word tefillin is, so they looked in the English. They said, oh, phylacteronies. Oh, now we know what it is. <laughs> That's even more difficult than tefillin. <laughs> so he came along and said, oh, it's a black box. Oh, black box. Doesn't say black box in the Torah. We're giving you the secret. This is the Torah Shema And it's got to be square. And it has to be uh, a four, four compartments. None of that is written in the book, by the way. None of that. The basic mitzvah tefillin, nothing is written in the book. And then it says, keep Shabbat. Keep Shabbat, what does keep Shabbat mean? Walk on Osho Park when you visit, what does keep Shabbat mean? Doesn't say anything in the Torah, what you could do, what you can't do. Moshe Rebbe is going to come, I'll teach you the 39 laws, I'll teach you the Torah Dot, I'll teach you. So without Torah Shabbat Alpeh, we don't even move. We don't have Shabbat, we don't have Sukkot, we have nothing. Torah Shabbat Alpeh is the definition. That's why, if you look in the Torah, it always says, Vaydaber Adonai in Moshe Lemor. Says the Gaon Mevilna. What is Vaydaber and what is Lemor? And God spoke to Moshe saying, if you spoke, you were saying, I mean, it's a double language. Just say, God spoke to Moshe. Vaydaber Hashem el Moshe, and God spoke. Vaydaber represents Torah Shebikhtav. That's the written. Lemor is the Torah Shebaalpeh. That every pasuk always has to have a Vaydaber and a Lemor. An element of text and an element of definition, which comes from the tradition. Beautiful. So that's what we're celebrating on Shavuot, by the way. On Shavuot, we are celebrating the receiving of the two books. Oh, actually, not two books. The one book and the one oral, but then eventually it became a book because we couldn't remember anything anymore. Imagine if they didn't write it down. Today, people cannot remember a seven-digit phone number. If you tell somebody a number, text it to me, text it to me. I can't remember, I can't remember. Seven numbers. It's not, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. can't. Dial it for me. Because our memories get weaker and weaker as we're relying on, you know, technology. technology and written things. So imagine if we had to remember the whole Torah, all those books on the shelf. Imagine they told you, remember it by heart? I can't remember my maid's name. You want me to remember the, 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 the whole Torah, 
impossible. So therefore, they made a decision that they wrote it down. They wrote it down for us. Thank God they wrote it down for us. Otherwise, we'd be in trouble. So the Torah Shema Al-Peh is the Gemara. The Gemara was never written. It was never a book. This was done ear, mouth to ear. Now it's done in a text. Thank God. <coughs> now I go back to my original question. Why are we reading Migilat Rut on Shavuot? Is there anybody more important than King David? King David is the Mashiach, by the way. King David is the line of the Mashiach. According to the Bible, King David is illegitimate because the Bible said we cannot accept Mo'avi. What legitimizes David? The tradition, the Torah Shema Al-Peh. And therefore, if you want to bring a story to highlight how important Torah Shema Al-Peh is, you can't get a better story than reading Megillah Rud, because in this story we see how pivotal Torah Peh was. If it wasn't for a tradition of Shemuel that heard it, he heard it from his rabbi, who heard it from his rabbi, all the way to Moshe Rabbeinu, then Mashiach would not be legitimate. And therefore we read this story on Shavuot, we read the Ten Commandments from the Torah. That represents Torah Shebechtab, but we read Megillah Rud because that reminds us of the importance and the, uh, 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 the, the pivotal role that Torah Shema'al Peh plays as well. That's a very, very important interpretation. And based on this, based on this, I'll explain something else. There's, you don't have Tehidim. If you have Tehidim in front of you, you'll see it beautiful. Open up, if you have your Tehidim, Kufiutet. Kufiutet, it's 119. 119 follows the Aleph Bet sequence. Right. If you look at, uh, at the end of Kufiyot 119, look at the letter Sin. Sin's the second to the last letter of the alphabet. The Pasuk says, I'll quote it to you, Ba'alpeh. Sarim redafuni hinam umedebarecha pahad libi. Sas anuchi al imratecha kemose shalal rav. I know that sounds Chinese. I'll explain it to you. Give me a minute. David Amelech is talking. David Amelech says, Sarim de Dafuni. Who is the Sarim? The, the princes, the Sarim. Sarah Torah. Le Dafuni. They were trying to chase me. Who's the Sarah Torah? Doeg. Sarim de Dafuni. They were chasing me. Because they had that vendetta against me. Sarim de Dafuni. They wanted to chase me out of the, out, out of the camp. And David Amelech said, I was afraid. You know what I was afraid of? Umidevarecha. I was afraid of the dibur of Torah Shebikhtav because they had Torah Shebikhtav in their pocket. I was afraid of the varecha because they used it as a support. However, but when I heard about Imratecha, the Torah Shebikhtav, it's like finding a precious, precious uh, a commodity. And why does he say Because the Torah koshered up the marriage of who? And which is Rashi Tevot? Rav. Rav. Rav is Otiyot Rut Boaz. That they, 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 they kosher up the, 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 the marriage of Shalal Rab, of my grandmother, of my great-grandmother. So therefore you see how, how stunning it is. Now, one more point. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Next week already, Shavuot's what's over, so we have to finish it today. Oh, so it says in the Gemara in Pesachim that when Mashiach comes, they're going to have a, uh, a seuda. They have to have a seuda. And it says they're going to serve all this different type of foods. Uh, Leviathan, it's the type of fish. Don't say you don't eat fish. That fish you're going to eat. It's a special fish. It's a special fish. And special meat. All the vegans have to sit inside. But the, 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 the meat is going to be served. It's an old meat called the shorabar from the times of Adam Rishon, aged meat. And they're going to serve wine. It's going to be a whole to do. And uh, then they're going to make Birkat Amazon. The custom of, of Birkat Amazon is they make it a la cost. They make it a la cost. You have to make Birkat Amazon a la cost. That's the proper way. Even today, when you're home, if you have three people that have Zimun, you should make Birkat Amazon a la cost. 
why did you give up such a blessing? That says, whoever drinks from the course of Berkat Amazon is for fertility, it's for Berachah, it's all good things. Never give up the course of Berkat Amazon. A new course, you fill up a new course, and you, they hold it during Zimun, and after they say, the guy drinks it and he gives it out to everybody, take a sip. It's a, it's a big item. Kosh Berachah, it's a big item. Anyway, we'll talk about Kosh Berachah another time. So when, when the Mashiach Seudah is going to happen, so they're going to take the kos beracha and they're going to go to Avraham Avinu. B'chavot, Avraham. We're going to give it to Avraham. B'chavot. He's going to say, ah, yes, thank you very much, but you know what? I'm not uh, worthy. I brought Ishmael into the world. Go to the United Nations. Half the place is uh, Arabs. It's Avraham Avinu's kids. So he says, you know what? Uh, give it to Yitzhak. Leave me alone. They go to Yitzhak. Yitzhak, B'chavot. Your father said, B'chavot. He said, listen, I'm a little uncomfortable. After all, I brought Esav. The other half of the United Nations is the other 35 nations of Esav. So between me and my father, we brought the whole United Nations against Israel. So therefore, go to somebody else. Go to, go to Yaakov. Go to my son. They go to Yaakov. Yaakov says, listen, thank God I didn't bring Yishmael into the world and I didn't bring Esav. All my 12 kids, I went 12 for 12. I'm batting 1,000 and that. But I married two sisters. But they tell me, it was before the Torah was given, you were allowed. Yeah, I know, but you know, these guys, they get you. Uh, yeah, but you should have been Mahmir, and there's the thumbs. Uh, I don't want to get involved with these guys. They're going to say, oh, who's he to make Zimun? You know, there's always the, 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 the wise guys at the sit with Hey, why'd you invite him for? He married two sisters. I don't want to get involved with it, you know. <laughs> Give it to somebody else. So they go down the line, and each, it shows you the great Sadiqim. They run away from Kavod. Today, they would be fighting for the cup. Over there in the olden days with the Sadiqim, ah, you give it to the one, give it to the other guy, give it to the other guy. Today, say, how come you give it to me? I'm better than him, but you married two sisters. So what? I married three sisters. Give me the cup anyway. <laughs> anyway, they finally, get, they finally get to David. Okay, they get to David. Uh, David, listen, uh, they went all the way down to the, the, the end. He's number seven. They come to David. They say, and, they, and they're waiting for him to say, okay, give it to the next guy. Uh, they're finished. Okay, already the wine is getting spoiled already. They go to David, he says, Oh, Hazak Baruch, Ani Abarech. I'll, I'll do it. Velina El Abarech. And I'm the one that's worthy. Hazak Baruch. Now, they're not going to argue with him. Finally, we got somebody to make the Zimun. The dessert's getting cold. Bechavot, make Zimun, so we go to dessert. But the question is, David, what kind of talk is this? Ani Abarech, Velina El Abarech. Doesn't sound so humble. But David was one of the three humble people. So the Mefarshim explained beautifully because the halakha says when you have people at the house for dinner, let's say, Friday night, who makes the zimun? The guest. Halakha says, Balabayit motzeya. The Balabayit makes the hamotzi. So you can give everybody a big piece. You know, the Balabayit gives big pieces. If you give the guest to make the hamotzi, he's embarrassed to take a big piece. So therefore, let the Balabayit give out the bread in a generous eye. But when it comes to the mazon, who makes the Brikat mazon? You always look for the guest. Oreyach mevarech. So David HaMelech says, I'm the guest because I came from converts. I'm an outsider. All you people, you were born. You're all naturals. I came from the outside. I came from Moabi. Therefore, I'm the Oreyah. So therefore, it's, it's befitting for me to make the Berakha because uh, that's the Halakha. He wasn't being ostentatious uh, 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 or, uh, or arrogant. Now, then what does it say? David HaMelech says, he says, I will pick up the cup. That's the cup of David uh, Zimun. So the Mekubalim say that David HaMelech says, I will lift up the course of salvation. You know why? Because He says, why am I able to make this course? Because of that question. That the angel asked Abraham, That's my claim to fame. And therefore, when my grandfather Abraham said, He made me kosher. He cleared my name. He cleared Lot for being saved. And therefore, the root was permissible. So the Yeshua only comes because of what? Which is referring to the, uh, uh, the, great, the great conversation according to Hadushari. So that explains it. Now, a little text. Now that you got that introduction, which is really supposed to be three minutes. How long did it take? <laughs> All right. Sometimes we go over. All right. So look at the text for a minute, if you have over here. I just want to pursue Yud Aleph. 
Pasuk 11. <coughs> this, is at the, this is at the wedding now. This is the wedding of Ruta Boaz. So you need one thing at a wedding. The most important thing you need at a wedding, ladies, remember, you don't have to remember this because the rabbi will officiate, is witnesses. The witnesses are the most important part of a wedding. Not the hazan, not the florist, not the party planner with all due respect. I know that's important to a lot of people. But the witnesses, today we go to weddings sometimes, and the hatan is, oh, Rabbi Man, so beautiful. Uh, we, you wrote the kid be great. I have, I brought witnesses with me. What are you, where'd, you, where'd you bring them from? This is from my dorm in college. We dorm together. He's going to be a witness. What makes him qualify? Because he got drunk for 365 nights consecutively because he's a bum? What, what, what makes him proper? Because he was in college. Who knows what he was doing? This is the least suitable guy. But they don't know. No, but he's my friend. Okay, he's your friend. But because he's your friend does not make him fit to be an ed. The ed, you have to only pick the most devout, hashuvim, sadikim. It's not so simple to me. I saw great rabbis when they were asked to be an ed. It's, no, 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 I, I don't want to be an ed. Great rabbis. And this guy from college, he can't wait to sign. He wants to sign his name twice. I'll be both Edim. <laughs> both Edim. He doesn't even know how to sign his name in, in the Shona Kodesh. All right, that's another story. So now they're making the uh, wedding. Let's read 11. They said, we are witnesses. We testify to the marriage. And then they blessed them. Listen to the blessing. This is we bless every bride and groom today. We bless them all to the same blessing. This lady that you're bringing into your house, it should be like Rachel and Leah. That's the blessing. This this root. It should be like Rachel and Le'ah. What does it mean like Rachel and Le'ah? Now first it puts Rachel first. Because even the, even the children of Le'ah recognize that Rachel was the main wife. But the point over here is like this. This marriage is reminiscent of Rachel and Le'ah. They understood it very clear. It's controversial. Boaz's marriage was controversial. Don't you remember? <laughs> Peloni Almoni said, I won't marry her. I don't want to go near her because I'm worried that one day they're going to overturn the law and they're going to make her forbidden. And Boaz needed to convene the Bedin that day to make a ruling that she's permissible. Now, if you need a ruling that she's permissible, that means what? It's controversial. Right? When, when a regular girl gets married, you don't bring it to Bedin to get a controversial. We know, you're kosher. The fact that they needed uh, to do, and we see that they've been fighting over this in the Talmud. Years after, years before, they, after David was born, they were still arguing if he's legitimate or not. So you see, this is like a type of controversy that never goes away. So therefore, they understood why it has to come this way. Because just like the tribes had to come from Rachel and the other that were sisters... Why? Because whenever you have great souls, you have to bring it in a clandestine way. So they were saying, Yiten Hashem this lady will be like Rachel and Le'ah. It's like the marriage of the two sisters of Yaakov that was done in this seemingly compromised way for good reason, in order to bring <coughs> a great result. And what is the result? Look at the next line. Vihi betcha kebet peres asher They're bringing all the controversies. And it should be like the marriage of Yudan Tamar, which was also controversial. But what? It brought parents. It brought parents into the world. And therefore, even though it seems controversial what you're doing, it's for good reason. It's in order that ultimately we can bring the holy soul of David. So the next pasuk says, Boaz married Ruth. He was with her, he married her. God gave her pregnancy. So she got pregnant right away. And she gave birth. Not right away, nine months later. So now they go to the to Naomi. 
Who's the Edim? Why, do you want to know the names? No, they're poor. What I mean to say, they were pious people. I don't know that. I can't even say the names. It's a good question. Who are they? They weren't, they weren't from college. I promise you that. <laughs> anyway, it says, nashim Naomi. The ladies told Naomi, Baruch Hashem. There's a boy. We'll give him a name. He has, it's going to be a redemption for you for the fields. Now watch this line. What does this mean? This child should be for you a consolation of the soul. The Meshiv Nefesh. You ever see, we say Yeshuva Da'at or Meshivat Nefesh. It means it should give you consolation. Because, now Baruch Hashem, Ruth was your daughter-in-law. You thought she'd never get married. She ended up marrying Boaz. Whoever thought Ruth would have a kid. And whoever thought the kid would be Jewish. Uh, it should be. That's like telling Naomi, you should have Nahat from your, uh, from your grand, uh, grandson. But there's a deeper explanation. Yibum. What does it mean, Yibum? You remember I told you that in the mitzvah of Yibum, so Mahlon was married to Ruth. Mahlon died. And the Zohar says that the soul of Mahlon stays with Ruth. And when you fulfill the mitzvah of Yibum, the soul of Mahlon comes out in the child. So remember I told you last week, that I mean, you, you go from being the wife to becoming his mother. Which is, uh, you know, that's got to be worth something. Because she, 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 she was married, she was married to Mahlon, and then when she marries Boaz, she has a child. So who's coming back into the world? So that's what it means. The Meshiv Nafesh means this will be a return of the soul. The return of the soul of who? Mahlon. Very good. Naomi took the baby. Put her in her bosom. She nursed the baby. I don't know how Naomi was. She must have been old. She nursed the baby. Why did Anut nurse the baby? I don't know. But Naomi uh, uh, nursed the baby. They ran out of formula. Now listen to this. The neighbors came along and said, you let Ben the Naomi. Naomi had a baby. And the reason why they said it because she was nursing the baby. So they said, look at this. It's like Naomi had a baby. She's like a mother. She was not the mother. But they said, you let Ben the Naomi. But according to the Zohar, yes, because who came back? Mahlon. Who's Mahlon's mother? Naomi. So they were saying, you let Ben the Naomi. That indeed, Naomi had a baby. Because the soul of this baby is actually Mahlon. And therefore, although it's biologically connected to Ruth, it's actually spiritually connected to Naomi. So you let Ben, then Naomi. That's the deep explanation in, in that. And they named him Oved. Here we go. Oved is the father of Yishai, who's the father of David. And all this is Ele Toledot Peretz. Now we're going to give you the lineage. And we're going to start from Peretz. We're going back to the original, the line of Peretz. Peretz holid et Hesron, Hesron holid et Ram, Ram holid et Aminadav. That's right, and we know that Aminadav had Nachshon, Nachshon ben Aminadav. That's the same line. Now Nachshon had Salma. Now stop right there before I go further. Nachshon, he had a son called Salma or Salmon. Sometimes he's Salma, sometimes he's Salmon. Says both. Right, says both. <laughs> exactly. Peres, Tamar, Sam, uh, and Ayahudon. That's right. Now watch. So then you have Nachshon. Nachshon has Salma. Nachshon had four sons. Salmon, who was the father of Boaz. That's one. Salmon. He also had a son called Ploni Almoni. Right, that's the other one. That's the Tov. That's the guy that they went to for rights of first refusal. Elimelech. That was Naomi's husband. He was one of the sons also. And Naomi's father. She married her uncle. Yeah, she married her uncle. Exactly. 
So you have, these are the four sons of Nachshon. Now we're interested in Boaz, so we, therefore we're going to lineage Nachshon's son Salmon. Salmon has a son called Boaz, and Boaz has a son called Oved. Oved has a son called Yishai. And everybody now, we get to the finale, Yishai, Olid, and David. And Shemuel signs his name to the book. David is kosher. The tradition is that David was born on Shavuot and that he died on Shavuot. And therefore we read the book of the story of David on Shavuot because that's his time that he came into this world. And conclusion, what the Orahim HaKadosh says. Orahim HaKadosh says that the final Mashiach is going to have the spark of Moshe Rabbeinu. Just like Moshe took us out of Egypt, Moshe is going to redeem us from this final exile. And it says, so why is the exile taking so long? It's because Moshe Rabbeinu is a man of Torah and he does not want to redeem a bunch of idlers, a bunch of batlanim. And until the people start learning Torah like they're supposed to, Moshe Rabbeinu is what? I'm going to come over there from heaven to save a bunch of ignoramuses? Uh, I want to save Tamid Achamim, Torah. So therefore... There's no better day than Shavuot where everybody makes a recommitment to receive the Torah from fresh or new. And therefore on Shavuot we come along and say, Kabbalat Torah, Olam. That's the day that we're judged for our learning for the year. And therefore everybody makes resolutions. That what? I'm going to learn more. I'm going to have my children learn more. I'm going to go to Moshe Urim. I'm going to study more. I'm going to make sure that I'm more connected to... So therefore, since on Shavuot we make a commitment to Torah, now we can read the story of Mashiach. Now Mashiach will come. Now read the story of David. Because Mashiach will only come when the Am leaves the status of Batlanim, of idlers, and becomes uh, diligent in the Torah. The good news is, Baruch Hashem, the nation is becoming more diligent in the Torah. And that's why, as we say, that uh, these Pesukim that we're reading about David and his emergence are going to manifest themselves in reality very soon. I'll take this opportunity to wish all of you uh, I'll tell you again, Salmon, Tov, which is Ploni Almoni, Eli Melech, and the father of Naomi. All right, ladies. Oh, I don't know, I don't know. Rabbi, women can read the Megillah. Yeah, why not?